Makers of Sport Podcast, Episode 89, with Alex Center. And welcome to episode 89 of the Makers of Sport podcast. I'm your host, Adam Martin, at T. Adam Martin on Twitter. Today's guest hails from Oceanside, New York, and currently lives in Brooklyn. He's been recognized on Graphic Design USA Magazine's yearly list, Designers to Watch. He has spoken on stages at the How Design Conference, the Dialine Conference, and AIGA, and has been interviewed by renowned designer and industry thought leader Debbie Millman on her popular podcast, Design Matters, which is one of the original design podcasts. This gentleman got his start in the creative business, like many of you, working in-house for a sports organization, and today is a design director for arguably one of the most recognizable and design-savvy brands on the planet. I'm happy to welcome to the podcast, the Alex Center, design director for the Coca-Cola Company. Thanks for joining me today, Alex. Thanks for having me, Adam. That is some intro. I feel like I should have come out of a tunnel or something. <laughs> I've gotten pretty good at these after 89 episodes. Wow. <laughs> um, so Alex, I, at this point in the podcast, I like to kind of give listeners an opportunity just to tell a little bit of a bird's eye view of their own story. And obviously we'll go in depth uh, as the show goes on, but can you just give us, uh, give us a little bit of your journey, you know, of how you got into the creative business uh, leading up to Coca-Cola? Sure. Yeah, uh, so as you mentioned, I uh, grew up in Oceanside, New York, which is about 45 minutes outside of Manhattan, and my mother was, a, was an artist uh, growing up, so I, I kind of just fell in love with that as a, as a sport, right? And so I just I, I knew I had a little bit of talent, and I kind of pursued it. It made me happy. It was something that I felt like I was, uh, I was confident in my abilities, and so uh, I, I, I took more art classes in high school than I did like language or math, and uh, eventually uh, went to college uh, for communication design, where I realized I kind of I wanted to be a graphic designer as as a, as a profession. Um, and then in my senior year, I got an internship working at Madison Square Garden, where I worked in their uh, art and design department, uh, working with both the Knicks and the Rangers. From there, I got a awesome junior designer role at a startup beverage company called Glasso. Uh, Glasso is the makers of smart water and vitamin water. This was about 11 years ago, and uh, we were purchased uh, by the Coca-Cola company, and I've been sort of just 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 grinding and designing and just uh, have been sort of growing with the brands and uh Climbing the corporate ladder to the point today where I am a, the design director of our New York office uh, here on Madison Avenue, uh, we, where we home we are the home of, of Vitamin Water, Smart Water, and also Powerade, the sports drink. Very cool, man. So, kind of, kind of uh, going backwards a little bit. I, I listen to uh, obviously I do research on all of my guests, and and I uh, I listen to Design Matters. So I've heard your podcast what like three four years ago whenever it came out. Yeah. 
And um, you mentioned in there that you passed up an opportunity to work for renowned designer and illustrator Milton Glazer to intern for the Knicks. Yep. I'm curious, what's, uh, what made you choose the Knicks over, over a legend? Yeah, no, that's that's uh, kind of a crazy decision to make. And uh, I think at the time, I just wanted to work as a designer for a brand that I loved. And I think being here in New York, I realized that you know some of my favorite uh, brands and, and products and teams and uh, you know organizations were based in New York, and I just I really wanted to go work for them directly. I don't know what really drove that, but I just I knew that it just seemed like the coolest thing in the world to me would be to work for uh, sort of you know one of my favorite brands. And so uh, I, I, I interviewed and uh, I, I sent in a ton of resumes to a ton of different places. And the one at the New York Knicks, um, you know, kind of came through. And uh, my communication director, uh, Professor Anthony Rozak from the uh, sort of communication design department at uh, State University of New York at Buffalo was kind of like uh, not that enthused with the New York Knicks <laughs> yeah. like internship opportunity. Most design professors don't seem to be very pumped about that stuff. Yeah, well, and I think you know, I, I think it was a compliment to me that I was a student that he felt like could have you know done an internship at. One of the you know the bigger or you know sort of the the design studios or work directly for a design legend like Milton Glaser and they have right. he's got like this uh, apparently has this like prestigious internship program and he's got you know uh, you know he probably takes only a few kids a summer and so my professor thought that I had a chance to be like I think he had like one other student that ever was a intern at, at in the Milton Glaser summer internship program and so I think he thought that you know maybe maybe I was you know on that level or capable of of of, of Having that incredible opportunity, but I didn't even apply. I just I got the thing. I got the opportunity with the Knicks, and I just ran with it. Well, you know what's actually uh, actually cool is there's another person that sort of took us a, a sports track with their career. Uh, this guy Clinton Shaner, he's a art director for Field and Team Sports at Nike. So he's like one of the guys that is behind um, like all these college rebrands. Okay. That, that you that you see that, that Nike does, and, yeah. And he looks like he he worked for Milton Glazer for a while, so it's it's cool to see some people that honestly, it's cool to see uh, people flowing into sports that have the talent to do that, right? Because a lot of times, I think people sort of just think that sports designers are just like these kids that are cranking out. Well, nowadays, cranking out like these Instagram images. <laughs> But luckily, there's some talent flowing in some of these places as well. Yeah, I'm glad that I didn't have to make Instagram content uh, in 2005. Oh. When yeah, I was, the game has changed, man. Yeah, the was, game is, how, how old are you? If you don't mind me asking, I'm 32. So okay, I was, all right. So I'm I'm 34. I'm older than you. But 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 back when you were doing this, this is obviously pre. I mean, Facebook was out, but this is pre. Uh, yeah, pre like Instagram images and every social media score graphic. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> stuff that's like that. It's a, it's a whole new world in sports design and, and marketing. Yeah, I was doing like cups and like email flyer, you know, posters and uh, you know, sort of season ticket. Uh, packages and yep, things like that, right. but there was there wasn't like the need to create a new piece of content every time like uh, a, a, three, a Carmelo Anthony hits a three. You know, That's, <laughs> right. I didn't have to do that. 
But <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I, you know, my, I, growing up for me, like my parents were both huge uh, sports fans and still are to this day. Um, Mets and Knicks, like mm-hmm. you know, and 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 sort of, you know, I was born in '84, so Mets won, you know, sort of the World Series uh, right after I was born. So like. You know the, the the Mets were were just like beloved. You know the, the that '86 team with uh, all those all the legends. Uh, um, right. So I just I kind of I, I love sport and you know I just loved I was I've always been a fan of sports and so the idea of like taking these two things that I love you know design and 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 sports and sort of combining them together for you know an, an occupation or a profession was just like. How is that? Right. How is that not what I wanted to do? So, um, right, right. <clears throat> so on on uh, on Debbie's podcast, you mentioned, and, and I don't necessarily disagree with this. You actually mentioned uh, that sports design <laughs> is not as fun as watching sports, and and honestly, um, it it's a grind, dude. And I think most people, everybody that listens to this show, typically under, understands that. We have some crossover where some designers work at sort of general design firms and stuff that listen. Um, you know, and they they probably get the idea. Now today, though, I think it's changed a little bit because I don't actually. I mean, I consider a lot of things sports design that aren't necessarily what you know people working in house. Like Bethany Heck, uh, you're probably f- you familiar with Bethany. Yes, at all? yeah. She so she's one of my favorite designers. She's a good friend, and uh, I consider her a sports designer because she has this beautiful sports project, and she kind of it's kind of grown into like this other sports ephemera. Um, and and if you look at uh, look at all these little sort of uh, brands that you see popping up on Instagram, like these old school leatherhead sports companies and stuff like that. Like to me, those are sports designers just as much as someone that's maybe cranking out social graphics for a team. Yeah, I don't think you have to work for a team directly. I think there's, there, there, I think there's a lot of overlap into uh, sort of uh, design and sport and sort of this like cultural place in the world where there are people that just love watching sports and they like well-designed products and things. You know, so oh, totally agree. Yeah. And honestly, for me, even having done this podcast now for three years, I'm actually more interested in just the culture of sports and sort of like the the nostalgia and visuals behind it than than a lot of times what's happening like on <laughs> on the the court or the pitch or whatever. I mean, if you think about things like Victory Journal, I had uh, one of the guys from Double Day and Cartwright on. You know, I mean, they're an agency that 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 sort of. Uh, straddles the fence between sport and sort of, uh, I guess, quote unquote, highbrow design. Yeah. You know? Does- I love the work that they do. I, uh, I, I'm friends with those guys a little bit and we've done a little bit of uh, work on Powerade together um, here. But uh, yeah, they're the perfect example. So, certainly who I think of in my mind where I think about that sort of like overlap of, of, of sort of graphic design and you know sports culture. And it's not... You know, sort of jersey design. It's not you know the piping on a on a, on a uniform, but um, it's more yeah, like you mentioned, it's more about the culture. Right, absolutely, and and some of that is kind of bleeding over into uh, consumer brands like Nike as well. I know that there's a whole Nike FC. Like I'm I'm big into soccer, so Nike Football Club, uh, and and it's like you know they don't promote it a whole lot over here. I saw an ad in a Victory Journal. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, it's kind of like this. Uh, Almost like higher. Uh, it's like it's got a completely different visual aesthetic. It's really cool, but it's like it's really appealing to that culture as, a, as opposed to like in your face, you know, football graphics uh, and that type of stuff. Yeah, 
Well, there's so much beauty in sport, you know. There's so much. There's so many great stories, and you know, uh, especially Victory Journal. Just the the photography alone is, is is breathtaking. So, I think. Oh, absolutely. You know, there's so much more than the professional, you know, sort of the playoffs that are happening tonight. Obviously, that's a whole other industry, and you know, I think uh, working directly for a team and being in some some of those meetings and you know being getting to be a part of behind the scenes of an actual team you realize you know just like you know anything else it's a business you know and right. uh, i think sometimes it's best to keep business and pleasure separate <laughs> and oh, so yeah. for me i was like you know, I, I, I thought it was an amazing opportunity and I don't regret it a second because it actually led to, you know, where I am today. Um, so, but I, I, I think for me, uh, I, like to, I like to root for the Knicks and Mets and I'm kind of okay with not working directly for them. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, actually, I, it's kind of the same way for me. I don't really want to work. I'm a big Kentucky fan, obviously, yeah. being from here and I don't... It would be really hard for me to work for them because I care so much that I don't want to go in there and start hating. Every, I don't. I don't want to muddy up my <laughs> yeah. my love of the sport. You know, it's like going there and start hating Coach Cal or whoever. <laughs> like, I can't stand these guys. I can't cheer for Kentucky. Yeah, you no. Know? You know, it, it, they always say like, "Don't meet your heroes" and things like that. But oh yeah, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, and it's not that I didn't have that experience so much, but uh, my teams are so bad. <laughs> Especially right now, <laughs> my Mets are just a disaster, and my Knicks are just ugh. So well, I you got to live some pretty cool Knicks years, though, being thirty-two with the the Allen Houston and those those kind of eras. Yes, the Starks and those Mason nineties teams were like, yeah, those were those were those Knicks and Pacers battles. Yes, yeah, I uh, I love that thirty for thirty documentary, uh, Winning Time. As, oh, as yeah, much as, so as as much as it pains me to watch, um, it's it, you know those those are my you know those are my memories those are my those are my Knicks teams that I love. Yeah, you have those to hold on to. Yeah. So going back, uh, kind of like right into your career, um, you did you graduated college, you left the Knicks, and you landed a job at Glasso. That's how you say it, right? Glasso. Yep. Glasso. Um, uh, which today I guess is known as Energy Brands and is a subsidiary of the Coca Cola Company. Uh, and, and Glasso owned Vitamin Water. So, your how did your sports design experience aid in landing that gig? And then, sort of, how was your transition into consumer packaging work? Maybe, I'm guessing you hadn't done any at that point. Yeah, um, I hadn't done a ton of it. Um, it actually was. It's a really interesting sort of story in that um, right when I interviewed for the job at, at Glasso, uh, Vitamin Water had just signed up. Like. 30 athletes to be like this like all-star fantasy team lineup uh, to go out and promote the product and spread the word about the brand in local markets around the country. So it was everyone from Ray Lewis to like Brian Erlacher and Ray Allen, David Wright, LaDainian Tomlinson, Allen Iverson, Tracy McGrady, like all these guys. And they were sort of, they weren't like being marketed nationally they were being marketed like as local heroes is what we used to call them and so um, right at that time my you know the creative director uh, his name is Chad Hogan uh, he comes from a hip-hop backgrounds and he you know he didn't really know that much about these athletes he you know he just was he was a skateboarder he just wasn't a huge sports fan so um, 
it kind of in the interview I had um, you know I had some Nick's work that I had just done in my internship um, and I just had a good understanding of I, I knew the difference between Ray Allen and Ray Lewis um, <laughs> yeah. and, and and he was like okay that's really important because we are doing so much work with all these athletes um, and so it, 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 in many ways if I didn't have that internship at the Knicks I might not have gotten that job and so basically I, I got hired to be the first full-time graphic designer and uh, just kind of immediately got to work kind of making a lot of uh, sort of uh, local toolkits or you know posters and you know pieces of point of sale and uh, you know we were doing just a lot of uh, sort of on the ground marketing across the country with you know some basically the biggest names in sports so it was a pretty big thrill for me. I was I was all in. I was like, this is my dream. You know, I get to do sports, but you know, I and I, I get to you know work on this amazing brand. And uh, yes, later on, it sort of transitioned where I got some you know bigger opportunities to work on uh, some 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 rebranding projects and some packaging projects. But it really started with me like laying out buses that had Ladanian Tomlinson on the side of them <laughs> nice. for, San, for San Diego, like yeah. you know, sort of you know, mark, local market, you know, sort of uh, creative. So. It was well. It, that's it it's awesome. kind of uh, so. I know that the the founder, I guess, is John Darius. Is it Bickoff? Is it, D- D- it? Darius Bickoff? Okay, so yeah, and and uh, I guess it was founded in '96. Yep. I'm a I'm a I'm a I'm a nerd at this kind of stuff, especially with companies and brands. But um, you know, like it, it it originally was founded. I read from him feeling run down and catching a cold, and I guess he took some vitamin C and some mineral water and thought, hey, we should we should mix this together. Uh, and and then somehow it it repositioned it, like initially it was literal vitamin water right and then somehow it was repositioned into a sports drink category so how did that are you how did that happen yeah it, it, you know there was a time when the brand just started growing to the point where we had sort of outpaced the category even and so we you know in, in the beginning we were competing with other water brands we were competing with other you know water products on the market and so we you know being you know having nutrients and benefits and uh, color and all these things really helped us sort of stand out and differentiate from from all the other waters on the market but at a certain point we got so big that we, we were like you know looking at you know the, who's the next you know, ring on the ladder, right? And who's who's you know the next you know uh, opponent, and the next opponent was Gatorade. And so, I think part of our strategy was to not really position vitamin water as a um, as as a sports drink, but to use sports athletes to promote the brand across the country to sell Power C, which is our sort of closest drink to mm-hmm. um, to a sports drink that we have, and uh, really use these athletes as a way to introduce ourselves to you know these people and these you know even the some of these grocery stores that you know sort of you know didn't want to put up a giant vitamin water you know sign in their window, but they would put up a giant uh, Tracy McGrady poster in Houston, you know, or David Ortiz in Boston, and so. Um, I think for us, the thing that we always tried to do was to show the other side of these athletes. Um, so instead of just showing them, you know, sort of playing sports in their jerseys, we wanted to show their personalities and show sort of a little bit of the sort of the more humorous side or the sort of the the side that you don't get to see on the court. And so 
we used to do some really fun stuff like uh, you'd win a fishing competition with Brian Erlacher because Brian Erlacher loves to fish and so we would you know, do a photo shoot with Brian Erlacher, like sitting in a body of water uh, with a fishing rod and like a giant bear in the background, you know? And so I think we were trying to, you know, we were using the athletes more as celebrities than we were using them as athletes. Right. If that makes sense. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and speaking of celebrities, I have to ask this. I know that you're probably tired of answering this question, but just for the sake of speaking to a different audience, uh, a gentleman that uh, by the name of Curtis Jackson, who most of us know as Fifty Cent, um, he had a role with Vibe and Water, and you had a you had a pretty interesting interaction with him. Can you talk about that, and then maybe talk about Fifty's role with the company? Yeah, Fifty. I mean, played a huge role in introducing Vibe and Water to the masses. I think um, he was, you know, sort of my entry point to the brand. Um, I'm a huge fan of his music, and so uh, you know, in in the early days of Vitamin and Water, uh, we did a lot of work with with Fifty, and um, I got to, to to hang with him. A, a few times and uh, sort of my, my sort of biggest and best memory is the one I sort of always talk about is um, people think I work for him people always think that like <laughs> they think that 50 cent owns vitamin water that's like a very right. common misconception that people have and, yeah and so you'd be surprised how many times people say like oh yeah 50 cent he owns vitamin water and <laughs> you know what's it like to work for him and so um, I kind of took that idea and uh, Sort of, I came up with a concept for a campaign in which he would sort of be uh, sort of a, a food scientist because we have food scientists that make the product in, in our labs right. here. And so I thought it would be funny if we took that idea of Fifty Cent as you know, sort of food scientist and you know, sort of um, kind of like this is Sports Center, right? Like kind of like the right. same idea where like the athletes are in the corporate office, and so. Uh, came up with this idea that he would uh, sort of wear the lab coat and the goggles and this whole thing, and we built him out this huge lab. And so, uh, when I when he got there, we kind of gave him the run of the land and let him know what you know what was going on that day. And uh, you know, someone introduced me as sort of the brains behind the project. And so, he kind of does this thing where he like he'll size you up, you know, in in a sort uh-huh. of in a very sort of like hip hop way. And he was just like, "Oh, you must think you're pretty special." And I was like, uh, nervous, <laughs> scared. Like, this is 50 Cent. And at the time, he was, I mean, not just like on top of the world in terms of like his music, but he was also a physically large human. He was very, right. like, super swole and just like really, really jacked. And so I remember being super intimidated. But, um, it's it, it's made for a great story. And he is one of the, like, uh, he's, he, he's a real, like, Business savvy, like really smart guy, um, doesn't drink or smoke, like just really, uh, you know, sort of gets it. And so uh, I think that was that was a really great moment for me um, in my career. And I've actually, I, you know, I was thinking about today, um, you know, coming on the podcast, I was thinking about all the athletes that I've met. You know, sort of in in my time, and I've I, I've really I've met a lot of them, and uh, they all I have like there, there's a lot of funny little moments like that where you know you're just like I can't believe I'm in Tracy McGrady's mansion and like his chef is like cooking us lunch, <laughs> you know what <laughs> I mean? Right, right, yeah. And like um, I I once went to Big Poppy's house in Boston, yeah. Um, 
And That's cool. he was super funny and like this big personality. He's got a million kids running around the house. And like, uh, it was like, a, it was during the summer and we were shooting by his pool. And at one point towards the end of the day, uh, I challenged him to a cannonball contest. <laughs> no kidding. That's awesome. And I just was like, like I, like some of the people on you know that work for the business were like, maybe this isn't the most professional thing in the world. I was like, <laughs> I was like, this is the only opportunity in my life that I'm going to have a cannonball contest with a big poppy. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to take this opportunity, and I brought my bathing suit. That's <laughs> awesome, man. That's awesome. I actually got to contribute to uh, the Celt or the um, Celtics uh, to the Red Sox send off. Uh, they did like these these uh, pieces of art around the city. That were from like different designers and artists. Cool uh, for like his his retirement. So it's pretty cool to pretty cool to do that. But I didn't get to do a cannonball with them or meet them actually. So you that's obviously way cooler story. Hey, they're um, not they're, they're not all um, they're not all entertaining amazing stories. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'll tell you um, about the time that I waited nine hours for Kobe Bryant to show up to a photo shoot. Jeez, <laughs> I won't even get into that. Or the one that time that I. Uh, I waited four hours for Tony Parker in San Antonio, and then he showed up and he didn't want to drink the product. Oh man, dude! I'm actually I'm in I'm in a I'm in a, uh, I'm in a uh, uh, doing some branding work for an, an undisclosed athlete right now. <laughs> this uh, this guy like his there we were supposed to have a phone call yesterday. Yeah, no, no, no show. Oh man, you know like I was supposed to hear back from him on something like what well, another time no show, and it's like. <laughs> Yeah, it's just yeah, it's nuts, man. You're on their time. It doesn't matter, you know. Definitely like, on their it. time for sure. <laughs> but you know, it's always great when you when you meet the ones that are really kind and nice and down to earth, and you know, you're just like, man, yeah. you know, thank you. Because yeah, it's it, it does kind of suck when you meet your heroes or you meet these people that you are, you think are you know so incredible and amazing, and then they're just kind of like they're not good people. Uh huh. Right. There's a there's a story with uh, Carl Anthony Towns, who plays for the Timberwolves. He's a, a former Kentucky basketball player, where Slam Magazine was shooting him, and uh, you know he came in and and um and he really gave uh, the extra effort to give the photographers like he, he gave them the extra time to get the shots that they wanted. Yeah. He, he recognized, hey, this is your art, man. This is your thing. I want to I want to give you guys what you need. I love that. Yeah, and that's you know. That doesn't come around all, you know, all the time. But right. yeah, no, it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it can be really interesting working with athletes and sort of, um, you know, like you mentioned, they, when you, when they give you uh, their time, you know, their time is super valuable. And these guys, you know, they work so hard and, you know, they, you know, especially the big ones like, uh, like LeBron James, you know what I mean? Like, right. you know, when he gives you a few hours of his time and he goes all in on something, you know, it's just like, it, 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 it means a lot. And it's, right. you know, and it's, it, you know, sometimes he doesn't, uh, you know, he doesn't want to be there totally, you know, because, <laughs> right. but he, he, he'll put on, you know, some these guys will put on a smile and they'll, you know, sort of they'll be, they'll be professional and even some, right. you know even sometimes get into it and get excited about it and yeah see it as art and craft and that's when you're like you're like yes like you know he's in a good yeah. he's in a good mood today <laughs> right, right totally yeah. totally um, so kind of so, uh, jumping back on the path to uh, your your sort of journey to Coca Cola uh, as oftentimes happens in business Glasso was acquired by the Coca Cola company yep. In 2007, for uh, 4.1 billion dollars in cash, according to Wikipedia. Yep. Um, 
So now you're transitioning from this sort of fledgling upstart drink brand, which I know it was a little, it wasn't necessarily a startup at the time, but now you're, you're, it wasn't necessarily fledgling either. (laughs) It was doing pretty good. (laughs) But now you're going to this uh, global and historic brand like Coke. And, and at that time, um, the company was, I mean, we've always kind of held Coke in a, in a, in a, in a certain uh, way in terms of, the brand, like the red and the white and the script type. Uh, but at this time, like the company was trying to deliberately become more design driven and they had a VP of global design, David Butler. Yep. Um, and I remember him, you know, at that time being, I remember being very excited at that time, seeing him in fast company and sort of seeing like, it was almost the first time I'd, I'd seen design is starting to get a seat at like the C-suite table for like global corporations. Totally. So I'm curious, uh, uh, how did what uh, was he? I'm assuming he he sort of obviously he was the design leader of the entire organization. But how did his leadership affect you directly? Did you work with him much? Did your processes have to change? Like like what was that like? Yeah, so I I never worked for him directly, but I certainly saw that magazine and saw that cover, <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, he's like you know, master of design. And I was just like, right, he's right. wearing a Coke shirt and he looked cool. And I was like, you know, this is, this is like where I want to go. You know, this is like the path. And it's like, you know, being a designer that works inside of this company can be really awesome, right? It could be, it could lead towards uh, amazing work and sort of uh, recognition in the industry. And, uh, you know, a lot of people that worked for vitamin water uh, you know, sort of started disappearing, right? Like, you know, uh, for the most part, uh, the leadership had three-year contracts and like, you know, a lot, there were a good amount of people stayed around for just, you know, a few years um, after the sale. But, you know, four or five years later, it sort of started to, you know, sort of uh, get a little quiet with the people that <laughs> were once the heart and soul of, of, of the right. business, right? And so, well, I mean, how much of that had to do with people owning stock and kind of moving on? They, 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 the sale was very beneficial for them fiscally. Yes, yes, and no. But I think a lot of people, I think they're just really, really driven, right, and really creative. And I think they, mm-hmm. you know, they had worked so long to achieve this goal, and you know, I think they were, they weren't going to take their money and just disappear, and you know, sort of. Right. They, I think they wanted to another challenge, and so I think. You know, going back to David Butler, I just I just looked at sort of like the work that they were doing on that uh, visual identity system that was in two thousand six. Uh, so it was like yeah, two thousand six to two thousand ten. I think is the, the heart and soul of that work that uh, Turner Duckworth uh, did with with Coca Cola. Right. And I just I remember seeing it, just being like, okay, that's you know that's the benchmark, and like that work. Um, is beautiful and it really just you know it, it pays you know such incredible homage to the Coke brand and so I just was like I, I remember thinking at the time like I'm gonna stick with this and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna try to create work that's on this level uh, for the brands that I lead and get to be a part of um, here in New York but you know to tap into some of the resources and uh, the people that uh, you know sort of were, were building Coca-Cola, you know And so I think uh, for me, it was really inspiring. And I, I recognized that you know the work that I had been doing, which was, like I mentioned, it was very local. Mm-hmm. It was it, it was definitely um, it was going to become a lot larger in scale, right? It was going to become quickly much more national work. Um, 
and it was definitely, you know, and then even global to a certain extent, which is, you know, sort of what, what my work hadn't done in the past. And then also um, the ability to work on other brands at Coke um, that, you know, sort of are not vitamin water and smart water. So um, I think all those reasons got me really excited. Um, David moved off of the design team and then uh, Vince Veron, who was uh, sort of the next leader of the Coke Design Group, I worked. I worked much closer with. So I kind of missed David Butler just by a little bit because gotcha. um, of the timing of of, of things. But uh, we've emailed back and forth a little bit, and so he's a he's a good dude. And so I think for mo- mostly, he just gave me like inspiration that like like you mentioned, design was going to become a really critical and important part of business in the future. And that designers were going to be on the front cover of Fast Company, and that in-house design was going to be um, something that was uh, the future of branding. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and it's cool. Uh, even it just elevates. Uh, even when the, in the industry, design at Coke. You know, we're all now looking at at Coca Cola is like, whoa, dude, they're like a design company. Yeah. You know, and and that's uh, that's a cool thing when you see that. Speaking of uh, in-house. Uh, we've we've talked. Obviously, we're close to the same age. But I remember when I graduated college, I never wanted to work in house. Like to me, working in house was would be the most boring thing. I didn't want to work on one brand. It was like agencies were the sexy hot thing back in like two thousand five, six that area. Yep. And then um, uh, that being said, I mean we've seen that change a lot. I mean if you look at uh, uh, well, full disclosure, I'm I'm probably unemployable because I've been doing my own thing for ten years. But it's it's a cool idea for me to think about working in house. Um, but if you look at the tech industry, design, design thinking, they're being championed at companies like Facebook, Google, and even financial corporations. I mean, Capital One acquired a design firm to sort of give design more value within the organization. Yep. Now, your entire career has essentially been working in-house. I know you do some freelance, uh, but what is it about working in-house that appeals to you and, and uh, you know, as, as opposed to working with agencies? I know you're a big champion of in-house yeah. design. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, and, and you know, for the reasons that you just mentioned, right? Like, um, design is playing a bigger role in business. And I think that comes from uh, this, this startup world that we live in, right, where uh, companies like Facebook and companies like Airbnb and sort of these these new-aged Coca-Colas, right? Like, in many ways, like, these tech companies are the Coca-Colas of, of this time, right? They're the big, right. they become the companies that, you know, are, are, are at the top of the, you know, sort of global, you know, 100 best brands in the world. And I think, yeah, absolutely. I think, Facebook, yeah, I mean, recognizable. Google, Google yeah. Apple, Facebook. And so, I think what you have is these companies are built around design, and a lot of them are founded by designers. And so design has just become a critical piece of sort of a tool for businesses to to reach and connect with consumers. And so um, I just, you know, I think it's it's definitely changed the role that we have within companies where we're able to kind of take on uh, sort of projects and things that are that are above maybe you know where they were when I first started, which was like, okay, you can make these like posters and you know you know signs for retail environments and mm-hmm. um, t-shirts and <laughs> packaging, you know. And I think um, 
I, I think our role has expanded to the point where we get to take on, you know, big, big sort of systems, you know, projects and um, build experiences and really, you know, are the foundation in many ways to, to the products um, <clears throat> that we sell. And so for me, the reason why I like it is because I just, I like being a part of all of it. I think for me, I, I, I don't consider myself like, uh, just a package designer, or like a you know sort of a product designer, or an illustrator, or you know, I consider myself a branding guy, and I it's because right. I just I, I love brands, and I think the world of branding is so rich in terms of you know things that we um, that are that that we have at our fingertips to 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 make people feel something about our our, our brands, and so. I think it's for me, and totally in the same boat as you. Like, I never realized in-house was a career that was something that was um, was possible. Right? It just was. It was never presented to me in like design school. It just was never really didn't. You know, it, it, it only it, it only kind of dawned on me after I was in the role for a really long time. It's like. Oh, this is great because I get to run, lead, and do everything, and I like being in control. <laughs> I like right. I like having my fingers on all of the different pieces of it. So, if we're doing a television commercial, or we're doing a sort of uh, sort of a web campaign, or video series, or a package design, you know, I, I kind of like you know I like being a part of all of those things, and so I don't like being put into you know, a box. And so I think right. for the people that work at agencies, a lot of times, you know, they get, they get pigeonholed into, okay, you're going to be like a specific service. Yeah, exactly. Right. A, yeah, a, right. yeah. A service that's like, okay, you're going to help us by giving us a visual identity system, or you're going to give us a packaging design, or you're going to do this like billboard at a home campaign. But, you know, right. for me, like, I just like being a part of the bigger picture and, the sort of cohesive brand experience that you know that we create. So um, I think it's really you know sort of it's an amazing place to be a designer, and certainly a great place to learn how to be a designer. And so I think that's what um, you know I, I feel really fortunate, and really grateful that I just kind of you know came across you know this company at the right time, and you know then became a part of Coca Cola where. I've learned, you know, from basically the greatest branding school in the world. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think this kind of leads me into my next question, which is uh, you mentioning uh, in a previous speaking engagement that uh, you consider Coca-Cola a lifestyle brand. And I, I, it's a very cultural brand. Like I can even give an example. There's a... Um, just a little sort of uh, tasty freeze kind of thing in my hometown where, you know, you go inside and there's all these super old Coke ads. Can you talk about uh, Coca-Cola being a lifestyle brand and just like exp- expand on your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think all the brands that we have here, are, I, would, uh, I would consider lifestyle brands. Um, I, think, I think when I was talking about lifestyle brands, I was probably talking more about vitamin water, to be honest. Because um, I work... Actually, I think you were. Yeah. yeah you were. So I work... I work for Coca-Cola, the company, um, and I don't always. I don't work so much for Coca-Cola, the brand. Um, and there's a difference there, and um, I just want to make sure that that's 100 percent clear. Um, I, sometimes I get to pinch hit and get called up into the uh, you know to, to to play for the for the for the majors, you know, and get to pitch in a little bit on a project or something like that for Coke. But my day to day job is 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 leading 
uh, still vitamin water and smart water and Powerade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I talk about lifestyle brands, I think about the culture and the people that live the values and live the lifestyle that our brands are a part of. And so uh, for vitamin water, it's sort of, you know, these, you know, these kids that are, um, that love music and they love fashion and they love sports to a certain extent. um, And they're sort of athletic and, you know, they, they live these sort of like experiences, you know, throughout all their life. And so I think we, as 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 the Coca Cola company um, need to understand that lifestyle and like what these people um, are about and what the th- what are the things that they you know love to do and how they spend their time and their money and we want to be the product that's in their bag when they go to do those things right and so the only way in which we can truly become sort of the brand that they have the you know that relationship with is to understand uh, the lifestyle and to be a part of it. And right. so that's that goes, you know, in the same way for 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 Powerade, uh, the sports drink, you know, it's like how do you how are you a part of uh, people's lives and how are you the drink that they go to um, you know when they're uh, you know, finishing up a practice and or, right. or, or heading out of the door, going to go on a run or something like that. And so, mm-hmm. um, I think it's about trying to build brands that are that have relationships with people. Yeah, absolutely. You have an emotional attachment to. I actually just an example. Um, I actually every time I do one of these podcasts, I, I associate. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I associate vitamin water. In, in my perspective with doing these podcasts because every time I do one of these I always have a vitamin water sitting here. That's fantastic. I, <laughs> I, really, just, I we, just drank a rise right now. Oh, that's that's great. That's a new one. We really appreciate your support, Adam. And so thank you for um, <laughs> I'll let you know Debbie Millman also drinks vitamin water while she podcasts. So Oh did, yeah I remember I feel like I remember her saying something like that. Yeah. Yes. I, I love the rise, man. The it's, rise is that's my jam, dude. I love it. It's yeah it's a good one. It's a really delicious one. Um, so yeah, we're the official uh, beverage of podcasting. <laughs> there you go. That and coffee, maybe. That's it. Yes. <laughs> uh, one thing I've admired about your talks and your interviews and your articles, and and uh, you know even your, the company itself, is that design is very important as a business discipline. So design, you know, design is problem solving, and a lot of that problem solving is apparent in business. Uh, you know, sometimes art is involved. I know sometimes you might hire an illustrator. Uh, something that's strategic, but I've never really viewed design as an art. Being that design solves problems, and art f- is more personal consumption. So, uh, what are your thoughts? Can you just elaborate on your thoughts on designers being business people and sort of having a business mind and paying attention to business goals and principles? Yeah, I think I think. Listen, it all comes down to what you want to do, right? I think there's so many different ways in which you can be an artist or be a designer in the world, right? Like if, if you want to be an illustrator that makes, um, sort of books or makes, um, sort of, uh, you know, typography pieces of art, that's great. You know what I mean? And there's not, I don't want to say anything that you shouldn't explore that. It's just for me as a designer, I feel that, as we were talking about before, there's an opportunity uh, to be a part of the 
bigger business world and the brands and the sort of the biggest ones in the world, the biggest businesses are valuing design today more than they did five years ago, more than they did mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Right. And I think as someone that works in-house versus someone that is sort of maybe does more personal projects and does you know sort of freelance projects that sort of maybe straddle the line between art and design a little bit more, I, I'm a designer in the world of business and the world of branding. And so I think there's something really exciting about that. And I think that gives us really an opportunity to, um, to work across different disciplines, whether it's um, you know, building out huge experiences or building products or uh, creating you know, sort of uh, new ways in, to teach you know, in, in schools or it's to sort of think about the future of hospitals or to, um, you know, sort of create new models for working together. And I think right. there's just, the, you know, as designers, I think we are really skilled and have um, have unique skill set to be able to handle some of the modern complexity of business and mm-hmm. creating sense of all the crazy amount of touch points that people you know are are going through on their everyday life and so i think maybe 15 20 years ago the best way to reach a consumer was to make a television commercial and to you know hire widening kennedy to go make some big brand anthem and put it on tv and tell people about your product tell people that it was great or cool or would play a role in your life and it was aspirational or etc. And I think the way in which Widening Kennedy reaches people in 2017 um, is different, right? And the way in which brands like Nike and like Coke and, you know, the way in which, you know, people are interacting with these brands and businesses is, is different. And so I think in many ways that gives us as designers a really exciting opportunity to to be leveraged and to seek out problems that are going to happen in the future and help us you know help these businesses and help these people that maybe aren't don't come from design backgrounds and don't really um, they don't they don't have the same skill set that we do show them where the future is, you know, show them where we need to go. And I think that's one of the great, you know, tools of being a designer. One of the like amazing things about designers in many ways is that like we are like magicians. We're just like, here's the future. <laughs> right. Here's where we are going. And here's where we need to go as a brand or as a business to 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 find our way or to reach people in in, in the future. Do you want to come with me? You know what I mean? Like, do, right. you, do you want to invest in this future vision that I have? And so I think there's something really amazing about that, that we're given that opportunity um, more today than we may have ever been in the past. And so I think having the skill set of being a designer, but also kind of having uh, or, or working within a business or working with business partners and business leaders and, you know, um, kind of understanding both sides of the equation really kind of helps um, 
if you are interested in, 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 in this world, because, you know, at the end of the day, uh, I think, you know, we were all in this to, 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 to sell more products. Uh, you know, all your favorite sport teams are trying to get more people in the stands. You know, they're right. trying to sell more jerseys, you know, and it, it all comes down to sort of how do we reach people and how do we make them sort of fall in love with the things that we're doing. So Right. And I think even even with it just being that's the thing, right, to sell more you know, of X. Yeah. But, you know, as designers, we're really trying to create like an experience, a better experience for people, essentially. And that product is the way that it's done, I guess. And, but people also expect that and they demand that. Mm -hmm. Like they don't, they don't want things to be the same as they were five, 10 years ago. They don't, right. They don't have to settle. So there's no, you know, there's, there's nothing that stops them from saying, no, I don't want to, you know, wait four days for my movie to come in the mail, mm-hmm. um, you know, via Netflix. You know what I right. mean? Like, I, I want to stream that movie right now on my computer, wherever I am, you know? Right. And so. Yeah. And I mean, everything, and, and even just looking at the experience of, of just about, <laughs> seems like most things are going this route in terms of subscription-based services and people don't like to necessarily have the um, the burden of owning things, even houses, even, you know, just like this generation, it's like, hey, you know what? We can subscribe to this and then if we're done, we're done. You know, it's, it's, it's out. Yeah, I think- <laughs> We can do something else. I think every piece of industry is being rethought and, you know, and I, it's, it's really exciting. Um, and, and I think- what what people are going towards is like, how do we make this better for people? Like, how do we use modern technology or use sort of um, <clears throat> the advancements of technology to make this experience better, more enjoyable, more beautiful uh, for people? And it's like, you know, how do we, and and also more personal. And so I think that 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 you know that that will touch every industry whether it's music or whether it's sports or whether it's beverage and so you know i think you know look at what Gatorade is doing in terms of uh making personalized sort of data tracked bottles and formulas right. for you know for teams like that's where the you know that's where the future of sport is going where you know, every athlete is different. Every every person has a different chemical makeup, right? And even just you know, kind of referring to themselves as a performance company as opposed to a drink company, and even uh, you know, like Zappos refers to themselves as like a customer service company than a shoe shoe company, right? Like yeah. And and I think why is changing. I think all companies are becoming consumer first companies, um, and to do that, I think is is to is to design better, you know what I mean, and and so I think the tenets of design is you know to make things that you know enjoyable, like to make things that people love uh, via experiences or via like you know the details and you know the craft and the communication of 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 things, and so 
I, I just think it's a really fascinating and really exciting time to be a designer. And so I don't think I realized that when I was just trying to be a graphic designer that worked for the Knicks because I thought that was cool. <laughs> you know, I didn't right. like. Yeah. I wasn't and like, there's still and there's still roles for that too, right? I mean, like we're we're kind of essentially talking about design as this more holistic discipline, like IDEO or Bruce Mao design, as opposed to you know somebody still needs to sit down in, in the trenches and make an actual piece of design right of course they, they go hand in hand like you know and i think you know i i i've i've talked about you know that same experience in you know in my talks where i say like you know we're thinking about big picture problems and you know sort of you know experiences and you know you know systems of compute consumer touch points and you know rethinking the the way the world is built but then I'll come back and they'll be like, "So what about this handle for this multi-pack? You know, <laughs> right. and like, well, you know, we got to get that into Target in you know the next six days. We got a meeting. You know what I mean? And so it's like, right? In both sides of those are are valid, right? They're both part of our jobs. They're both, you know, it's it's the nuance of of, of packaging and you know you know the nutrition facts panel and the you know the barcodes and making sure things are laid out and meet regulations right. and. But it's also, you know, it, it can be bigger and, and, and is also sort of, you know, changing the world at the same time. And so I think it's. Yeah, and actually, I wrote down a, a, something from one of your AIGA presentations in my notes. And I think this kind of really just sums it up as uh, designers as thought leaders, not just craftsmen. Yeah. No, and I, I think that's. I, I think that as designers, a lot of us are preoccupied with logos. <laughs> like I think designers are obsessed with logos. And I think and and that's fine. And also like hand drawn typography. Like these are the things that like I see the most of of designers that are like, hey look Line at my icons. <laughs> hey, look at my portfolio. I have done this many logos and I've done this many pieces of typography, like illustration. And I'm like, I like and I don't I don't mean to put anyone down that does those things. And I think they're beautiful and I enjoy the people that do them really well. And I love a great logo, right? Like I, 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 there's nothing, but it's one of so many pieces of the pie. And I think that's the piece was like vitamin water has never had a a logo. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like if you look look at our packaging, it's like, it's, it's, it's a, it's Helvetica typed out and it's bold on bold. But like that logo means nothing to anyone, you know what right, I mean? But if but it, but it's paired with this stripe, it ha, you do have like a visual language, which is what makes it interesting. Yeah, I feel it, like we have brand equities, you know what I mean? And we have we have you know we have an amazing brand, but it's it's not because we have a great logo. And so I think that's one of the things where you know the the cra- like the craftsmanship, you know, is is. You know, we lo- like designers. We love the craft. There's, you know, and we'll never, you know, that that is one of our most powerful, you know, tools in our in, in our arsenal is to make things that look beautiful and that are like, you know, that are perfectly, you know, constructed and are, you know, sort of are, are crafted to a, to a really, you know, incredible way. But then there's the whole other side, which is like, how do we make people know about this or care about this, and um, you know, what are the what are the other components of it? You know, because have you uh, have you heard of Gretel? Of course, firm. Yeah. All right. So, have you seen their Vice branding? Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. That see that I think that that wraps it up so well because essentially Vice Land is just you know typed out in like a word mark. It's nothing spectacular, but what the but the content itself is so out there and so amazing that they're like, why do we need to do something crazy just for our logo? You don't need to put everything in your logo. 
No, yeah, and I mean, and like if you look at what they've done with Viceland and that identity system, it's a tremendously, um, it, it it it's such a complex uh, sort of system of assets and tools and things like that, and it has such a you know sort of it has such a premium but generic look that right. like you know it it, it it's it's. It allows the content to be king. It's super flexible. It feels very young, and it's just it, it is, it is, it's really compelling, you know. And it feels right. every time I watch Viceland, which I watch a ton of Viceland, I am the you know it's like the channel that is on my TV like most of the time just by yeah. default. Yeah, <laughs> when I'm not watching sports, I'm not watching you know my Mets and the NBA Finals and things like that. I'm watching Viceland. I'm watching Deezus Amaro. I'm watching like um, <clears throat> I'm watching just you know all the content that they have on there. Um, and I just that identity system. It's like yeah, like you mentioned, like their logo is fine. It's great. You know, it looks nice, but it's it's all these other components of this you know sort of uh, of, of this of this channel that really make it feel alive. And right. um, yeah, I, I just I love being a part of all those different things, and so I, I definitely think that designers sometimes can get caught up in like the craftsmanship. And I think in many ways, like we were in the past, I think designers were thought of as craftsmen only, right? And we were the make it pretty department. Um, yeah, totally. As my friend Leland Mashmeyer says, and so you know, I think we have an uphill battle. To convince other people, and I face this, you know, at, at Coke at times, you know, where you're a designer, like this, you know, this is, you know, this is not a design project, you know, right? And I think our job and our obligation that we have is to is to showcase the fact that we can be involved in in, in much more than the the make it pretty projects, and so right. um, that involves us having different. Tools in our in our toolbox and um, craft, you know, craft is one of them, but it shouldn't be right. it shouldn't be the only one, unless you want unless you want to be an artist and then you know that's maybe something different. Right. So let me uh, a couple more questions. Just changing paths here. I know that vitamin water it's it's a big part of your identity, but yeah. it's not all you do. You know, no. it's not all you do. You you freelance a little bit. Uh, imagine it's probably good to to. Have a change of pace there, but also you've kind of dabbled a little bit in film, and you did some stuff. ESPN Thirty for Thirty documentary. You had a bit of a role with your favorite team, the Knicks, uh, when the Garden was Eden, which was produced by Michael Rappaport. So, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So that's another thing I talk about, where like being an in-house designer, like you mentioned, um, you work on the same brands every day. You come in and you're constantly trying to make new things that people will love to make people, you know, find your products and, you know, fall in love with the things, the brands that you work on. And so I've been doing this for uh, for 11 years. So, um, I, I I love taking on projects on the side as a way like it keeps me sane. Like that's mm-hmm. the only way that I can uh, stay sane as a designer is to like take on some things that are uh, not beverages. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> um, and so um, you know, I, I try not to take on too much or too many things because uh, I don't have the time for it. Uh, and um, you know, I try to take on things and projects that are like passion projects. I'd call them. And uh, for me, like. 
the biggest, greatest passion project I could ever get a call for would be, hey, Alex, I'm working on a 30 for 30 documentary, which I've seen probably 80% of the like over 100 30 for 30 films that have been made. I'm, uh-huh. I'm such a fanatic of 30 for 30 right. documentaries. I love them all. Um, and I'm looking for the podcast are launching like next week or something. They are doing a podcast. It's interesting. I, I will definitely listen to that. Yeah, they're doing. They launched it. They talked about it at South by Southwest this year. They're doing a whole podcast series. Yeah, of thirty for thirties. They they got me. I'm in. I'm a podcast guy, <laughs> and I, I'm a thirty for thirty guy. So like, um, so my boss, I mentioned him earlier, Chad Hogan. He was the creative director for Vitamin Water, um, and he was the one that hired me. And uh, he is buddies with a filmmaker named Jason Berg, and Jason Berg was working closely with Michael Rappaport on this 30 for 30 about the Knicks. And so he asked Chad if he wanted to like help out with some of the title cards and some of the some of the graphics and you know some of the some of the so the branding for the film. And so Chad knew how big of a Knicks fan I am and he was like I'm ha- you know I got to bring in Alex and it was literally like my dream come true. Um, and so I I busted my ass for like a month straight every night just working till like five in the morning just trying to just trying to create stuff that Michael Rappaport would love right and I was like obsessed with this I was like I want my titles in the film I want my type I want my logo like I want everything I want like like I want this I want this bad and uh my dad, as I mentioned earlier, he's you know Knicks Mets guy, and so growing up, he would always tell me about the seventies Knicks teams. Like I did, I obviously you know wasn't alive, but you know Dave DeBusher and Clyde Frazier and Willis Reed and like all these great like heroes of the Knicks of like you know the, these this was you know those were his Starks and Mason and Ewing and um, you know Oakley like those were his that's his Knicks team and so. Uh, when I found out, you know, this film was called When the Garden Was Eaten, which is based on the book, and I just was like, I just, you know, I, I, I just, I went all in, and, and uh, I, I just, I was um, so thrilled to get that call. And so, uh, working with Michael Rapport was pretty funny. Uh, we had a few calls together. He was, we had a few calls together, and like, you, you know, his persona. He's like the most honest New York guy. Like, dude, like that's his his brand is like full, just transparency. Like, tell it how it is. Like, you know, you know, sort of, you know, badass, you know, Michael Rappaport style. So, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. and it's so funny. Like, that's his calling card. And so, like, he tells it like it is. So, like, uh, like imagine doing like a design critique with Michael Rappaport. Oh yeah, I bet it's brutal. <laughs> and it was like that's like the exact. It's exactly how you think it was. He's like, he's just like, this sucks. Hate this. Love this. <laughs> this is fire. Like this is dumb. Like you know what I mean. He just yeah. was like so animated and like so like it was it was it was it was wild. But um, he fell in love with this treatment that I did that mimicked uh, like the slope of Madison Square Garden. So yeah. mm-hmm. when you like are coming up to the garden, you know, walking down the street as it gets closer, there's this sort of like slope that it has. Um, on the top of the building because it's a rounded building uh, all the way around. And having worked there, I remember like there's this Madison Square Garden logo, uh, which 
no one really knows what it looks like, but um, it sort of has a, it's sort of a logo that's like the shape of this building that is um, sort of this iconic slope of uh, of architecture. And so I came up with this idea that I wanted all the names in the film to be typed out, but they would be slightly sloped at the top that would mimic exactly sort of uh, Madison Square Garden. So he, he fell in love with that idea. He was just like, that's fucking awesome. Like, yeah, this is it. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I worked, I, I, you know, I laid out like, you know, like a hundred names and titles and uh, we designed t-shirts and hats. And I even did like, there's this upfront uh, piece of typography that like giant, Letters come in and out of the different frames uh, in, that spell out when the garden was eaten um, in the, in like the first like you know three minutes of the film and uh, mm-hmm. yeah it was just like the cool like I couldn't believe it was happening the entire time and so uh, I got to go to the premiere Tribeca Film Festival and like Phil Jackson was there and like all the old Knicks were there and it was just like the coolest project in the world so. Um, <laughs> Uh, that I wish all of my like calls or emails or like you know freelance you know sort of um, inquiries were like I got this amazing thirty for thirty I got this amazing like <laughs> yeah. sports design project that is like perfectly uh, in your wheelhouse and they're they're typically like I have a beverage that I want to make a package for <laughs> right. and it's like that's not what I want to do in my free time on. You know, the weekends is work on more packaging projects. But did, now, did that project lead to the Think Normal project? Y- yes. Or? Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. So uh, I did that project with with Jason Berg and, and Michael Rappaport uh, when the Garden was Eden, um, and then Jason Berg um, he had done he 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 did uh, two other uh, shorts for ESPN. One was Think Normal. And then, uh, which uh, tells an amazing story, um, and I did just some of the titles and some, you know, some 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 work for that. And then I did uh, Eternal Princess, which is the Nadia Comaneci um, sort of uh, another uh, ESPN nine for nine short uh, that was directed by Katie Holmes. So yeah, I kind of got into the like the film title card. Um, design world for a minute and uh it's a it's an interesting place um you know i think there's 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 a lot of merit in in doing that type of work but i really did it just because like i wanted to do a 30 for 30 <laughs> like that was oh dude absolutely. Uh, that was 30 like for 30 but, nuts yeah That's so good and that one is really good too i'm a big i love the film is is phenomenal it's so funny and, and i mean the way i understand is some of them are actually already produced they're just shopping them to 30 for 30 in some cases maybe I've never is that heard, true. I've, or are I've, they all just? I've never heard that, but um, they. I mean, they do so many, so many different. I mean, they've done so many prolific, um, you know, films that maybe it's like that, but um, right. I, I don't know. Like, I just I, I I love Thirty for Thirty so much. Like, I love the Fab Five one about Michigan. Is so good. Uh, have you seen them? Oh yeah, I watch them like crazy. I haven't seen every single one of them, but I've watched most of them. What are your favorites? Uh, well, the one that just came out about Coach Cal. <laughs> okay, okay, is a favorite of mine. Um, I like the Michigan one. Yeah, the the ones about the U. Both of those. Yeah, yeah, love those. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I like this one. I like the one, you know, the Garden was Eden. Man, there's just so many. It's, I know. it's tough, dude. I really like a lot of them. And the one about uh, Sonny Vaccaro, uh, the sneaker one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That one, Shoe you know, dog that one's right up my that. alley. Yeah. yeah, well, Shoe Dog's actually the, the book, book yeah. by, by Phil Knight, but what was that called? I can't remember, but it was- I can't remember it either, but yeah, I, was I read that Phil Knight yeah. book also. Um, yeah, that's yeah, it's a good one. I watched it. that too. Yeah, I read that. Uh, yeah, I read that just on vacation this year. So listen, I don't want to take up a lot of your time. I know that you're busy, uh, but I would be remiss if I didn't touch on this very serendipitous moment as today, the day that we were recording this interview, it's Kanye's birthday. Oh. I know you're a huge, huge Kanye fan. So tell us a little bit why, why, why do you like why do you like Kanye? Why do you look up to him? I mean, from a, not just music, but just a creativity perspective. Uh, first, happy birthday, Kanye West. Um, he's 40 <laughs> today, right? Yeah, that's so funny. Um, I love Kanye because I a am a huge fan of his music, um, and and I think he is just a completely misunderstood creative genius. Yeah, dude, he's totally a creative like the rest of us. Like he deals with like mental health issues and like, yeah, you know, it's like, he's, he's so, <laughs> I know that he can be grandiose at times, Yeah, but, but he, he, uh, Man, I've never seen someone like completely change. Like when he went, when he came out with like the Yeezys with Adidas. Yeah, he completely changed like the sneaker industry. It's like all about lifestyle now, as opposed to athletic sneakers. Yeah, I mean his, the the body of work that he has first from a music perspective, and you know is I mean I have this I play this game all the time with people. I was doing it literally in a cab yesterday in Atlanta. Was list your favorite Kanye albums in order, and it's just like mm-hmm. the worst Kanye album on that list is like better than like ninety percent of anyone else's music in in in, in hip hop and in 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 the world, like in any genre. Right. And so like yeah, like starting there, you know, and just saying like, okay, this guy just makes just completely prolific, important music. And his impact on culture in terms of style, in terms of yeah, the sneakers, I got two pairs of Yeezys, uh, you know, and I, I and I think and I, I think the problem that people have is that he he is the most important relevant person in music, and he's a he's you know he's a genius, and he knows it, and he tells people about it, and he's not shy about being confident and loving himself. Right, right. A- and well, and there are, there are things for me like that I don't like about him, but at the same time, like sure. the, what what I really really like about him is that I don't think people understand how creative he is in terms of like he has so many different tastes. I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I can't remember what it was, but it was a guy who created this game, like this mobile game, and. And Kanye and the guy was in the hospital and the guy was like basically getting close to dying. And so he basically taught himself how to code and like all this stuff because he was, I mean, honestly bored. Okay. He's like totally fine now, but um, he built this game. It started catching steam. And then he like, he got his dream composer to do the music for the game. And then all of a sudden he gets like a call from Kanye and Kanye's like, Hey, I want to, I want to write some music for the game. And I'm like, to me that, and the guy actually like even turned him down because he was like, look, it was a really tough situation. I know it's Kanye, but dude, I had my dream composer and, and I had to, had to go with the heart. I love that Con- you- Kanye was not the dream composer. Like there was someone else. Oh yeah. Well, I mean the, the composer was like, you know, probably, a. uh, uh, what's the, what's the super famous guy that does like all the movie drama music. <laughs> 
<laughs> Probably something like that, okay. I think. But, okay. um, but, but, but um, you know, just the fact that Kanye wanted to do that and that he was like in those trenches and he knew that that was out there. I'm like, man, this guy pays attention just to everything as far as like creative and culture. Yeah, and I think for me, like, and I, I just gave a talk about Kanye, which is um, <laughs> like uh, the pinnacle of my in my fandom. Um, and I talked about the role that he plays in my life is he gives me confidence when I need it. And I think huh. I, I've heard him say this in interviews: is like, if you're a fan of Kanye West, you're you're not just a fan of him; you're a fan of yourself. And I think that's the thing that resonates with me about his music is like he starts off with, you know, I'm so self-conscious, you know, that's why you always see me at least with one of my watches. And, you know, and he, he transforms into this like sort of, you know, overly confident, braggadocious, I am a god but you know, at the end of the day, he's you know he's just like everyone else. He's very you know sort of um, he's very self-loathing, or he's you know he deals with the same struggles that we all have with uh, you know potentially not you know not you know feeling sort of not great or not necessarily feeling right. self-conscious or you know and 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 I think when I look at Kanye, I look at it as an inspiration, and it's just like. The guy loves himself, and that's totally okay. Like, I, I think he gets a lot of shit for being the guy. Like, I love you know, love yourself as much as Kanye loves Kanye. But like, in my talk, I literally said like, shouldn't everyone love themselves as much as Kanye West loves Kanye West? Like, what's wrong with loving yourself and like, be you know, being confident? Like. Well, and I think that people need to get the whole picture too, because he's such a complex person. Yeah, you know, people are like, "Oh, I only hear, I only hear the part, uh, you know, the part that goes mainstream media are the parts that are like him being super cocky." But it's like you didn't see how vulnerable he was in this other instance. And to me, it's like totally he is like the poster child for creativity. Like, like because it's everything he's dealing with publicly are things we all deal with privately. A hundred percent. Yeah, and that's why for me, like I, I, I have gone through moments in my career where I've been like. You know, feeling like you know imposter syndrome, or like feeling like oh, I'm not good enough. You know, and like you know, I and 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 you know, this is in a place where you know I'm I'm reaching higher levels in my career. You know what I mean? And like, right? I, and I, I think I just, you know, I think it's important to have people like that in culture that you can look to and just be like. I'm gonna fucking put on my Kanye West today and go into this meeting and go into this, you know, interview or go into this, you know, sort of Michael Rappaport design critique and just be like, I am dope. I am fucking, you know, uh, I am great. I am, you know, I, I am, you know, I am a god. Put that music on in your headphones and go out there and like, you know, and 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 achieve because. If you don't believe in yourself, then like no one's you know no one's going to believe in you. And so I think that's, I think for designers that's a really important lesson because a lot of us are self conscious people that like to sit behind their computers and hide you know in cubicles. And so I, I just think as far as creative development goes, I would ra- you know I would rather help a bunch of young. Uh, aspiring designers 
to have self-confidence and belief than to teach them how they can, you know, make logos better. Right. You know, because awesome. I think that's I think that's more important. Yeah, totally. And and actually, uh, and and wrapping up, last question. I would, if you don't mind, I'd like for you to uh, just leave my listeners with a little bit of advice. Once you said. Uh, in one of your talks, well, actually in one of sort of your bullet-pointed items in one of your talks that designers belong in the boardroom. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, I do think that it's easier said than done, but in this with this specific audience, if you'll just talk to them, uh, you, know, you work for a design-led company, you believe in being design-led, these people that are sports designers, they're working in-house, they're grinding it out. You've been there, you've seen it, um, and, and you've kind of, uh, climbed over the hump, I guess, in a in a in a bigger organization. But what can you what 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 advice or um, tips can you leave them on just continuing to fight for their seat at the table? Because some of these people they don't want to leave. They love their sport, and and to them that's important. Their team, you know, to them that's the most important. So how can they fight uh, either 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 balance their love of the industry with their love of what they do and still push to do their best work in spite of their lack of power within the organization? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. I think no matter where you are, whether it's in sport or any other you know, sort of position at any company, I think there's an opportunity because you're there, you're inside, you're being paid. You know, you're, not, you, you know, you're not necessarily... Working on a per project basis, right? Like they're not, they've hired you to, as, as, as an employee, to work towards um, to build the business and to help build the brand, whether it's the Knicks, whether it's Vitamin Water, whether it's Nike or Apple. And I think, or, or it's an insurance company, right? Like if it's, you know, something, you know, much smaller or, start, or a startup. And I think, for people that are trying to sort of break out of maybe the roles or the things and the projects that they're feeling like they're trapped in, I would, my best advice is to seek out problems or projects that were not given to you, were not briefed to you, were not handed to you to solve. Because if you're seen as a problem solver, you'll be, you know, you become the like the plumber. You know what I mean? Like you right. just come in and solve and, and fix something, and you know, oh, we got a, we got an, we got we got one day to make this you know this this deck look better, you know. And then you, if you take on that, take that on, and then all of a sudden you do that too often, then you're the deck monkey, you know. And I think. The thing that I would push designers to is to take on some things that are self-initiated. Like take take the opportunity because you do work in house and you work inside of an organization to come up with something that uh, or seek out a problem or come up with a solution um, or an idea for your brands for your business and find time to present it. Say, hey, listen, I had this really interesting idea I thought would be really cool to make the fan experience better for my team. Um, and here's an idea that I have. And you know, put together a little deck for it. And pitch that as uh, something that is a little bit outside of the wheelhouse of the projects that you're doing. And say, you know, 
this is something. This is something I was thinking about. This, uh, and this is the type of work that I would like to do, or this is, you know, this is how I can help out in a different way than maybe the way that I'm being seen as currently. And I think that's the only way to sort of show people that you are capable of doing more and that you have the ability to think about bigger problems or to be a part of, um, you know, sort of things that maybe are seen to other people as outside of the design designer's role and responsibilities. So I think, you know, I think that's one of the great strengths of being in-house is like, you know, you, you can do that and you care about the brand that you're working on and you understand it and you see how it works from the inside. And so you can combat, you can sort of present solutions or ideas um, that maybe other people aren't seeing. And you're not going to get that from an outside agency. You're not going to get that from you know, sort of a hired gun um, from the outside. You know, you have a real uh, sort of opportunity to, you're in, to be inside and to sort of come at it from a different way. And then, you know, then, you know who knows? From there, you could potentially be brought into bigger projects or different type of projects or, you know, at least you'll be thought of as a slightly, you know, more, you know, just more well-rounded or just sort of um, have more tools than maybe the things that they originally thought you had. Very cool. That's good advice, man. I, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to come aboard the show. It's good to you and Thanks, Adam. your methodologies. Thanks, Adam. It's been a blast. I, uh, I hope we can speak again sometime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate it. My next guest is going to be Shane Milky. Shane is an independent interactive designer and creative director from Southern California. He's been a legendary interactive designer since the early days of the discipline. And in addition to his creative endeavors, he's in the top 10% of CrossFitters in his age group, as well as a high school football coach at a successful program in Orange County. Recently, he authored a book called Launch It, 300 plus things I've learned as a designer, developer, and creative director. This particular book, I actually ordered it. It's a very easily digestible and very valuable read. Shane can be followed online at Shane Melky, and his work can be viewed at shanemelke.com. That is S-H-A-N-E-M-I-E-L-K-E. Big thanks again to Alex Center for taking time out of his busy schedule to come aboard the podcast. As mentioned, you can follow his work on Twitter, uh, which is at the Alex Center. If you're interested in hearing more Makers of Sport episodes, then head over to makersofsport.com slash episodes to check out previous interviews or listen to the original halftime episodes where I discuss business, entrepreneurship, and freelance in the sports industry. Halftimes since episode 65 have been available to paid community members only. If you want to support the podcast and access that additional content, you can join the community at makersofsport.com slash community, where you will also have access to private Q&As with future, former, and special guests, Google Hangouts, as well as interact, share feedback, and build relationships with like-minded professionals in the live chat. All community content is recorded and available for you anytime you join, including those private Q&As. In addition, community members get an opportunity to take part in the High School Project, which is a pro bono branding project that we are taking part in for underfunded high school athletic programs around the U.S. More on that particular initiative if you're interested in hearing more 
can be found in episode 75, which is called Donating Your Creativity. I'm also working to build out some new initiatives. One of those includes a written feature called A Timeout With, uh, which will be a short question and answer article showcasing community members on Medium and in the Makers of Sport newsletter. A ton of cool things happening in the future. We're also working on possibly doing some meetups around the country, some mastermind groups. Those are all going to be for community members only. Uh, Again, to find out more about that, makersofsport.com slash community. Be sure to follow the show on Snapchat. Occasionally, community members will take over the makers of sports Snapchat and give us a behind the scenes of their days working in the sports industry. Some previous takeovers include Megan Majera of the Indianapolis Colts, Ashley Strauss of the Tennessee Titans, John Willie of the Miami Dolphins, uh, and numerous college athletics creative professionals. It's great to kind of see a, a behind the scenes of what they're working on and kind of what their game days are like. Be sure to add makers of sport on Snapchat if you are interested in those and seeing more from those particular creatives in sport. I do want to reiterate that this podcast will always be listener supported and not sponsor supported. You will never hear me read an ad on the show. Ads are obviously very popular in podcasts. A lot of them, that is their revenue stream. Nothing against that, but it's just not my thing. I would much rather not lose the integrity of the show by satisfying an advertiser and keep the content objective and essentially what I want to talk about. I don't really do this for money. Uh, In fact, I honestly didn't ask for a dime for two years before launching the community. So if you do get value from the content coming from this podcast and it is something you want to support, then the way that I ask listeners to support the show fiscally is by voting with your hard-earned dollars and join the community. In exchange for that fiscal support, you get something back. You get access to premium content and a network of like-minded and professional business-savvy creatives in the sports industry who are there for you to interact with on a daily basis. Also, be sure to sign up for makersofsport.com slash email. I write a newsletter called Weekend Reads, which is a weekly newsletter that has exclusive content and I share the things that I'm reading or articles that I find inspiring to me. Now that has been on a bit of a hiatus as of late due to me coaching soccer, but now that it's summertime, I'm sparking that thing back up again. So you will be able to read those. If Even if you do not join the community, those are accessible to people that join with their email address. Uh, In addition to that, you also get the show notes delivered to your inbox when episodes come out. So you have all the links and basically everything we discuss in the episode. Lastly, please take one to two minutes and head over to makersofsport.com slash iTunes and hit the five star and write about your experience with the show. Especially those of you that don't support the show fiscally. All support matters. This is a great way to support the podcast if you can't afford to uh, jump in to the community right now and but you still get value and you still want to help the show it's how people discover the show rating the show is huge so please rate the podcast so that others can discover that value for themselves as well as always i'll accept likes or ratings on stitcher soundcloud or whichever podcast application you enjoy listening in i'm at t adam martin on twitter snapchat instagram and pretty much everywhere else on the interwebs the show is makers of sport until next time Have a good week.